This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 74, Drona. Last time, we finished up the daylight portion of the 14th day of the war. Arjun finally got close enough to Jayadrata to shoot his head off by sunset, but the fighting continued on into the night. The night time is a time for Rakshasas, so Gatok Kacha and his friends were in their element. They did a lot of damage, but they were eventually checked by Ashvataman, who killed Gatok Kacha's son and seriously wounded the father. Both Karna and Drona failed spectacularly to live up to their promises, and it resulted in the deaths of about 20 more of Duryodhana's brothers. Duryodhana reacted by applying his own special management style on his generals. He accused Drona of sympathizing with the enemy, and wondered when Karna was going to do all the things he promised before the war began. Now that Jayadrata was dead, the Karvas needed a new strategy. Summoning Karna, Duryodhana said, Now I think is a time for you to go in there and do all the things you promised you'd do against our enemies. Karna said, No problem. Turn that frown upside down, because I will bring you victory. I'll beat the Panchalas, Karkeyas, Vrishnis, and all the Pandavas. I'll stick them all with my arrows and deliver to you the world on a platter. Kripa heard these boasts, and he said, Yeah, right. If you could only fight as well as you can brag, this war would already be over. How many times have we seen you encounter the sons of Pandu, and each time you fled the field? You couldn't even protect Jayadrata after you promised to save him. When Duryodhana was kidnapped by the Gandharvas, you fled. During the cattle raid on Virata, when you had Arjun totally outnumbered, still, you fled the fight. Why should we expect anything different from you now? You roar like a lion when you're out of range of their arrows, but then you go quiet when you're needed the most. Kripa went on, Your problem is that you keep underestimating your enemy. What you fail to realize is that as long as he has Arjun and Krishna with him, Yudhishthira cannot be defeated, and Krishna and Arjun themselves will never be defeated. Perhaps it is because of your low birth that you cannot see what is so obvious to others. Karna said, I do not dispute that the Pandavas have many virtues and advantages, but I still have my special weapon that Indra gave me in exchange for my armor, and with that I shall kill Arjun. With Arjun dead, the rest will fall like leaves from a dying tree. But I can see why this is confusing to you, old man. You are blinded by your love of our enemies. But if you continue to praise our enemies and degrade our friends, I shall cut out your tongue myself. These fighting Brahmins are a prickly lot, and Ashvataman did not like seeing his fellow Brahmin thus insulted by a half-caste Sutta. He rushed at Karna angrily, and the pair had to be restrained from coming to blows. Duryodhana calmed everyone down, saying, Quell thy wrath. Our survival depends on us sticking together. If you do not work together, our cause is lost. Everyone calmed down a bit, but Kripa took a parting shot. He said, We forgive this son of a Sutta, but it shall be Arjun who quells his pride. Perhaps out of love for his master, or respect for his elders, Karna bit his tongue and rode out to confront his enemies. As you would expect from a son of Kunti, Karna hit the Pandavas pretty hard, but it wasn't long before Arjun noticed his attack and rode over to confront him. As the pair approached each other, they sent a constant stream of arrows at one another. When they finally collided, Sanjay described their battle as exceedingly wonderful, like that between two elephants fighting for a she-elephant. But then Arjun got the upper hand. First, he cut Karna's bow in half, killed his horses, and then beheaded his driver. Karna had to jump from his chariot and onto Kripa's and race away. Seeing their champion thus easily defeated, the rest of the Karvas began to flee as well. Duryodhana, seeing his soldiers being routed, said, God damn it, all of you turn around, follow me, I'll take care of Arjun myself. I'm not sure about the status of Duryodhana's magic golden armor, 
but Drona was concerned for his master's safety and sent his son to go in place of the Karva. Ashvataman tried to restrain Duryodhana, but the Karva was not having it. He complained that both Drona and his son were too sympathetic with the enemy, and no one could be trusted but himself. Drona and his son had heard this belly aching plenty of times already, so Ashvataman was naturally annoyed. He said, It's true that the sons of Pandu are endowed with great might, but that won't stop me. As for you, you are vainglorious and suspicious of everyone. You are wicked and the embodiment of sin. Nevertheless, I am prepared to lay down my life. Now let me at them. Ashvataman then rode ahead of the king and proceeded to slaughter the Pandavas. He was only checked by Dristad Yumna's counterattack. By now, it was pitch dark, so both sides had lamps lit, which illuminated the whole field, and the fighting continued on into the night. During one of these crazy nighttime encounters, Sahadev squared off with Karna. Both parties fought valiantly, but Karna was the better fighter. He disarmed the Pandava and had him defenseless, but he withheld the coup de grace. Instead, Karna allowed Sahadev to get away. He called after him, saying, Next time, don't try fighting with your superiors. Karna had recalled the promise he had made to Kunti and had spared his life. Elsewhere, Sahadev's twin, Nakul, managed to salvage the Madreya's name somewhat by fighting and defeating Shakuni. By the unfathomable logic of this war, Shakuni was defeated, but his life also was spared, although in his case it is not clear why. Duryodhana did not fail to notice that Karna had let his enemy off the hook, so he summoned him and Drona back for another scolding. He said, I would have never let things go this far if it wasn't for your constant boasting. I only got into this battle because you guys promised that you could defeat them. If you planned on abandoning me, why didn't you tell me sooner? Like a pair of henpecked husbands, the two warriors did not even try to go over the history of this war. Instead, they just said, yes, dear, and went off to fight even harder. The pair smashed furiously into their enemies, scattering the defenders and routing the army. While Yudhishthira scrambled to keep the ranks in order, Arjun suggested that now might be the time for the final showdown with Karna. Krishna did not agree. He said, O Dhananjaya, there are none who can stop Karna except you and the Rakshasa Gatukkacha. I do not, however, think the time is right for your final encounter. Remember, Karna still has that blazing dart that was given to him by Indra in exchange for his armor. That missile has your name on it. So let's send Gatukkacha against him instead. The mere mention of his name was enough to bring Bhima's loyal son into their presence. Gatokacha knelt before his uncles respectfully and said, Here I am, command me. Krishna said, There's a job that needs to be done and only you can do it. You shall be the savior of your uncles if you just confront Karna and stop his onslaught. Krishna went on, It is the duty of children to rescue their elders, both in this life and after. So go now and slay Karna while the rest of us take care of Drona. Arjun went along, saying, Yeah, that's right, only you can beat Karna, so please do us this favor. Loyal Gatokacha was game. He said, No problem, I'll kill them all for you if you'd like. Then he took off to attack Karna. Here things get a little confusing. It says that when it was observed that Karna was fighting Gatokacha, a Rakshasa volunteered to help out on the Karva side. It was the son of Jatasura, one of Bhima's many Rakshasa victims. This son of Jatasura also happens to be named Alambusha. The previous Alambusha was the son of Rishishringa and was killed back in episode 72. In any case, Gatokacha got to kill another Alambusha. This time he cut its head off with his scimitar. Then he resumed his fight with Karna. Sanjay said, With blood-red eyes, Gatokacha was gigantic in stature. 
His face was the hue of copper, his belly was low and sunken, the bristles on his body all pointed upwards, his head was green, and his ears were pointed like arrows. His gaping mouth extended from ear to ear, and he had four pointy fangs. His body was blue, and his neck was red. He tied his hair into a topknot and wore armor of brass. His chariot was equally enormous and was covered in bearskins. Pulling the chariot were four demonic steeds the size of elephants. His banner was tall enough to touch the sky, and atop it perched a carnivorous vulture with a blood-red body. Thus, this monstrous creature fought against Karna, who held his ground surprisingly well considering the size of his opponent. Karna was able to dispel all the illusions and deflect all magical weapons, but gradually he was beaten back. Gato Kacha hurled an object called an Asani, which sounds to me like some kind of hand grenade, because Karna jumped down, picked up the Asani, and threw it back at him, forcing the Rakshasa to jump clear as it blew up his chariot. Karna then produced magical weapons of his own, but again Gato Kacha was able to counter each of them. The Rakshasa then countered with some incredible magic. Disappearing, he transformed himself into a dark storm cloud and began raining boulders down on all the Karavas. Now this was bad. People were getting squashed left and right. Wails of fright and agony rose up from the Karva army. People called to Karna, save us, use your dart and kill this wretched night stalker. On the one side, Karna heard the pleas of his comrades, and on the other he considered his precious missile. He'd kept it dear to him for so many years, dreaming of the day it would bring him revenge against Arjun. Sighing deeply, he kissed his dreams goodbye and launched into his dart at Gato Kacha. The Rakshasa was still in the form of the storm cloud when he was struck, and his body blazed up like a meteor as he plummeted to earth. As one last act of devotion, Gatokacha directed his fall over the densest crowd of Karvas, smashing a full Aksahini of warriors to death with his monstrous corpse. Grimly, Karna ignored the cheers and praise of his comrades. He just turned his chariot around and returned to his position in the army. The fall of their most loyal and powerful son brought great despair over the Pandavas. They all embraced each other and cried. Incongruously, Krishna was smiling, hooting, and dancing a victory jig. The Pandavas all took notice and stopped and stared at him. Arjun said, Christ, man, can't you see we just lost a family member? What are you so happy about? Krishna said, Don't you see? We've just won this war. As long as Karna had that dart, there was no one who could stand against him. If he still had his armor and earrings, even you and I could not beat him. Luckily, he traded those away for Indra's dart. Now, he doesn't even have Indra's dart. The way is open for us to finish up this war. Karna is no longer invincible. It won't be easy, but we shall have a chance. Watch for when his chariot wheels get stuck in the mud. Then you must slay him. I'll give you the sign. Arjun, my friend, it was for your sake that I caused Jarasand of Chedi to be killed, as well as Eklavi of the Nishadas. Arjun asked, what are you talking about? Krishna then explained that had he not manipulated them way back in the book of the assembly hall and earlier, then Jarasand and Eklavia would have become fearsome opponents in this war. He said that at one point, Jarasand had a magical cudgel that made him invincible in battle. But Balaram, in some otherwise unmentioned incident, had shattered that mace, making it possible for Bhima to kill him in the wrestling match. Krishna also claimed credit for the removal of Eklavya's thumb. If you recall from back in episode 8, this precocious tribal boy worshipped an effigy of Drona, and from that alone was able to rival Arjun at archery. Arjun's reaction to this discovery was pretty snotty. He reported the boy to his teacher, and Drona, anxious to be the guru of the world's greatest archer, 
ordered the boy to cut off his own thumb. Now Krishna says that if the boy had kept his thumb, he'd have joined with the Kauravas and would have been yet another invincible obstacle to their victory. Finally, Krishna explained that this war has been particularly useful in exterminating Rakshasas. Loyal and good as he was, Gattokacho was a Rakshasa nevertheless. Krishna said that all Rakshasas are inimical to Brahmins and sacrifices. Thus, even Gattokacha had to go. Krishna said that if Karna hadn't killed the boy, he'd eventually would have had to do it himself. Thus, Karna killed two birds with one stone, and one of those birds was Karna himself. As for Karna, Krishna said, You need no longer be anxious about killing Karna, nor need Bhima worry about killing Duryodhana. I'll tell you what you need to do when you need to do it. At this point, Dhritarashtra interrupted Sanjay's narrative. He asked a good question. He wanted to know, why was it that Karna hadn't already used this dart against Arjun? He could have saved Bhishma and ended the war a long time ago. Dhritarashtra's frustration was evident. He said, why didn't they think to use that dart sooner? Why didn't someone remind Karna to make use of it? Sanjay replied, indeed, we did discuss it every evening. We'd say, don't forget, tomorrow be sure to kill Arjun. Or even better, kill Krishna since he's the mastermind behind all of them. But then the next morning we'd get up, go to war, and completely forget about Karna's dart. Krishna was always careful not to remind him by keeping Arjun away from a direct confrontation. Obviously, there's no way to beat the people who are protected by Krishna. Poor Yudhishthira was also heartbroken at the loss of this nephew. He recalled how Gatokacha had protected them in the forest and had carried them through the mountains. Weeping, he sat down in his own chariot. To comfort him, Vyasa appeared. He pointed out the obvious, which is that, had Gatokacha been saved, the dart would have been used on Arjun, and that would have been disastrous. Besides, this war is eventually going to kill everybody, so what do you expect? That destiny will make exceptions? He concluded, saying, It is for your own good that the Rakshasa was slain. So now, get back to work, because in just five more days you will rule over the whole world. Just keep a steady course, and victory shall go to the righteous. Then, Vyasa vanished again. By this point, it must have been about three o'clock in the morning, and the soldiers were all blinded by weariness. Some fell asleep where they stood, only to be slaughtered. Seeing that both sides were suffering for lack of sleep, Arjun took matters into his own hands. He called out to both sides that they should all take a rest. It was dark anyway, so they all agreed to take a break until the moon came out to light the battle. Nobody argued with this. They just stopped fighting and lay down to sleep where they stood. As they drifted off, Warriors on both sides blessed Arjun for his compassion. But it was all too short a time before the full moon rose over the horizon and lit up the field as if it were daytime. Automatically, the soldiers roused themselves and resumed their slog. Duryodhana must have the worst management style ever, because when he found out his men were sleeping on the job, he called Drona over and yelled at him. He said, just look at the Pandavas sleeping there. Why didn't anybody order our troops to kill them where they slept? What's wrong with you? Drona tried to explain, but the Karva wasn't listening. He said, Look, you are in charge of my army, and I'm not firing you, but I think it's time I take my own force, led by Karna, Dushasan, and Shakuni, and we'll get this job done on our own. Drona said, You go right ahead. It's about time you made good your boasts to your father, that you and Karna and Dushasan together would kill the Pandavas. So be my guest. There's Arjun, right across from you. Go to him now, like a good Kshatriya and your defeat shall be praised for generations to come. 
While Duryodhana divided up his army into two separate forces, the sun finally broke out on the horizon. Everyone stopped briefly to pay respects to the rising sun, and then the fighting recommenced on this, the morning of the 15th day of battle. Having divided up what was left of their army, Duryodhana went after the Pandavas while Drona attacked their allies. The morning hadn't gone long before Drona killed both King Virata and his former friend and rival, King Drupada. When Drustadyumna learned of his father's death, he howled in rage and swore an oath then and there that he would see Drona dead this very day, or he'd give up the life of a Kshatriya. Bhima heard this and groaned, not another oath. But it was too late. Day 15 would be the last day for either Drona or Drustadyumna. Krishna also did not like to hear of these constraining oaths, but now that it was done, it was time to resort to another one of his tricks. Meanwhile, Drustadyumna, Bhima, and Arjun had all thrown themselves against Drona. But once Drona and Arjun were engaged in combat, all the others were eclipsed by their action. Sensing that maybe he'd met his match, Drona began to resort to his magic weapons. He invoked one after the other, only to have them deflected or countered by Arjun. It says that Drona felt pride well up to see his top student performing so marvelously, but still he kept up the fight. Proud Drona, deciding that if he had to go, he would take the world with him, then conjured up the ultimate weapon, the Brahma Missile. When he armed the device, the very fabric of reality began to quiver in anticipation of its destruction. Luckily, Arjun also had command of this same technology. When Drona set off the bomb, Arjun encompassed it with an equal but opposite burst of energy, counteracting and containing Drona's intended devastation. Clearly, it was time to make a move. Krishna said to the Pandavas, As long as he has his guard up, no one can get past his defenses. Our only hope is to get him to put down his guard. Now is not the time for niceties. Let someone tell him that his son Ashvataman was killed in battle. This did not go over well with Arjun. While Yudhishthira was torn between obedience to Keshava and his own virtue. Bhim, however, thought it a most excellent idea. I guess these elephants had name tags because Bhim quickly found himself an elephant named Ashvataman and smashed its head in with his cudgel. Not waiting for any more advice, he began announcing, Ashvataman is dead! Sanjay said, Keeping the true fact in his mind, he said what was untrue. When Drona heard this, his limbs grew limp and he got weak in the knees. Then he pulled himself together, thinking the reports could not be credible. By now, using fair means and magic, Drona had killed over 20,000 Panchalis. It says he glowed resplendently like a smokeless fire. Sanjay said, Beholding Drona, stationed on the field for the extermination of the Kshatriyas, the Rishis Vishvamitra, Jamagdagni, Bharadvaja, Vasishta, Gautama, Kasyapa, and Atri, all came to him, desirous of taking Drona to the realm of Brahma. They said to him, You are fighting unrighteously, and your hour of dying has come. It would behoove you to desist from such extremely cruel deeds. You are Brahmin, and such acts do not become you. It was unfair for you to use the Brahma weapon against regular people, so what you did was wrong. Your time is now over. Hearing this, Drona became very grim. Knowing Yudhishthira to always speak the truth, he asked him, is it true? Have they killed my son? Before Yudhishthira could answer, Krishna said to him, If Drona keeps going on like this for even a few more hours, your army will be annihilated. Remember, if telling an untruth saves even one life, no sin is incurred. There is no sin when you lie to a woman, are saving a king, or rescuing a Brahmin. Bhima chimed in, 
Come on, it's no big deal. I just killed an elephant called Ashvataman, so there's nothing wrong with saying he's dead. I've already told him as much, but Drona doesn't trust me like he trusts you. You just should have considered this for a moment, and then answered his guru. He said, Yes, it's true. Ashvataman, the elephant, is dead. Yudhishthira could tell that his lie was effective, because his chariot, which used to float a hand's breadth off the ground, suddenly settled down onto the earth. Drona believed him, and was completely unmanned by the thought. Not missing his chance, Drusted Yumna notched a potent arrow to his bow, which glowed like the autumnal sun. Drona instinctively called forth his weapons to defend himself, but somehow the vital force had left him, and even those weapons that he'd used endlessly earlier in the day would no longer respond to his will. Thinking his son to be dead, and finding his magic had left him, he thought of the Rishi's words, and felt the desire to live fast fading. But still, Drona's survival instincts were not to be trifled with. The Brahmin grabbed his non-magical bow and quiver, and continued to fight with Drusted Yumna. Even without his magic, Drona was still a formidable opponent, and Drusted Yumna had a tough time of it. Drona destroyed his bows, then his chariot, and then broke his cudgel and shattered his sword. The Pandavas were forced to step in and help out. In frustration, Bhima jumped onto Drona's chariot and scolded him, saying, If Brahmins like you had only stuck to your calling, the former race of Kshatriyas would not have been exterminated. By this, I take it he's referring to the story of how the Brahmin Rama Jamadagni, or Parasharama, killed the former race of Kshatriyas in the prior Yuga. Perhaps he's implying that the old warrior caste would never have fallen as low as the current lot. Anyway, Bhima continued, it is said that non-violence is the highest of all virtues, and Brahmins are the root of all virtue. But you have forsaken that virtue out of your desire for wealth and pride. And meanwhile, your son lies dead on the battlefield, as Yudhishthira just told you. So what exactly are you trying to accomplish? Drona listened to this carefully, and, laying aside his bow, he said, Karna, Kripa, Duryodhana, I wish you the best of luck. As for me, I'm done with this. Laying aside his weapons, Drona sat down in his chariot and began to meditate. Just at Yumna did not miss a beat. Grabbing a new sword, he raced over to Drona's chariot. But although Drupad's son could not see it, Drona had already departed. Sanjay said that only five people on the scene were able to see Drona's ascension into heaven. It looked like a second sun had risen into the sky. The five who could see that were Sanjay, Arjun, Ashvataman, Krishna, and Yudhishthira. Unaware that his victim was no longer present, Drusted Yumna grabbed Drona's long hair and sliced his head from his body. Yelling frightfully, he hurled Drona's head at the feet of the enemy, causing them to flee madly in all directions. Arjun and Yudhishthira were pretty disgusted at the needless brutality, but Bhima was jubilant. He cheered and embraced Drusted Yumna again and again. Sanjay said, Drona was 85 years old when he fell in battle, although he fought with the energy of a 16-year-old. That's all for now. It doesn't quite finish up day 15 of the war, but it's a good stopping place. The Karva army is pretty broken up on news of the commander's death, but just wait until Ashvataman finds out what happened. Thanks for listening. <laughs>